What's up guys, welcome to the Fit Town Show. This is Coach Andrew with Coach Josh and Coach Austin. And today we're gonna to be talking about the gear that you need to make you fitter, which is kind of like a uh, exaggerated title because we're mostly anti-gear for the most part. But we're gonna be talking about uh, should you wear a lifting belt? When should you wear a lifting belt? We're gonna be talking about grips and wrist straps and chalk and uh, leg protection that you need, jump ropes, lifting shoes, all that kind of stuff. So we're gonna go through it all talk about when you should buy it, if you should buy it, and when you should use it in the gym. So let's kick it off with shoes, because I think that's the, the big topic. That's all something that we all like talking about here. And what comes to mind for you guys when you first think about shoes and Addiction. making recommendations? <laughs> <laughs> A lot of that, money. <laughs> I think that applies to all of us here. That's the one thing that Nikki gets on me for yeah. spending money on, but I haven't really bought shoes in a while. Uh-huh. I go in spurts. I get like four at a time and then I go okay. six months without a pair of shoes. I'm the opposite. I just consistently keep buying <laughs> shoes. Yeah. yeah, just every couple months ding one off. Yeah. Uh, I do think that there is like, in seriousness, there could be an argument for why you would need different shoe variations like you can't run in lifters you don't really want to lift in runners you know that's i'm kind of like picking the extremes but i do think a lot of people when you enter the gym and you're going to do like a group fitness class there are definitely like better shoes than others that people could be educated on for sure let's start there so like a just general purpose fitness shoe someone's going to buy one shoe they're not going to buy the lifters they're not going to buy the runner they're just gonna buy something that they can use for doing classes, a little bit of running outside the gym, you know, maybe some other stuff outside the gym, but just real basic stuff. What's the go-to, what should they be thinking about? I think the things that you wanna look for and that are generally, you're gonna see the word trainer in the title of the sho- whatever the shoe's marketed as. Mm-hmm. Um, and then coming along with that, you're gonna want good lateral support, which is like side to side. So in other words, like I'm just gonna give an example, like the Nike Free is not a good trainer because like it's so Squishy loose. on the exactly. side. Exactly, you can push off to the side and it's very sloppy. Uh, and you also wanna avoid, avoid a very high stack. So in other words, the distance between the ground and where your foot actually starts, like the thickness of the sole, we wanna be close to the ground. Yeah. And then with the sole also, you want to probably avoid a very significant uh, drop. Like you don't want a lot of roll through that foot yeah. or a heel elevation. You don't want a ton. Yeah. And my, what comes to mind is similar things like thinking about all the different movements that you do inside the gym and then how that shoe could benefit and be used for all of them. Right. <clears throat> In particular, if you think of shoes like, you know, the big ones are like the Nano, the Nike yeah. Metcon, like those are the biggest just because you can do basically everything in them. They're not perfect for everything, but they work good for everything. So you can lift in them, you can run in them. I think those shoes are really good if you're gonna do something like a rope climb because they have a specific spot on the shoe for the rope climb so that your shoes don't get eaten alive. Um, So I think if you're looking for just like an all around type shoe, those are the things you should be looking for. Whereas like where I am in my journey now, it's like I, I put comfort pretty high up there because I coach in these shoes so I'm standing in them all day Um, and then I'm not too worried about me lifting in any particular shoe anymore I feel decently confident in all my lifts so I don't feel like one shoe or the other is gonna mess me up with that but I could see if you're newer with some of the lifts like you would definitely want more of a stable base I think you hit it nail on the head too that like shoes like the Nano and the Metcon I think it's worth noting that they're really good at a lot of things they are not great at any one thing there really isn't a shoe that's mm-hmm. gonna that's gonna fit fill that void right 
Yeah. So tell me on tell me about the vans, Austin. Sell me on the vans. I see all these vans in the gym. I don't not, have the I'm vans not, yet. I'm not vans cult, man. No way. That's not me. <laughs> I mean, first off, like <laughs> vans are just cool, man. <laughs> I wear them outside the gym, so I just started wearing them inside the gym. But no, in all honesty, I think they're just they're super comfortable. Um, which is like I said, I just said it's big for me. And then like he was kind of talking about with like the Nike Free being super squishy. I would say these are kind of the middle ground between comfort and then not too over squishy, which is like can get you in trouble. Like if you're wearing like a literal runner to do all of your normal training, um, I can see where there would be some downsides on that. And I used to wear just like the noble runners just all the time, just because mm-hmm. I coached them. And it's like, I mean, it's not helping you in any way. So mostly if you're trying to do back squats or whatever, especially less experienced athletes, right? So especially less experienced athletes who are trying to figure out balance as it is in those kind of lifts. Um, and then also like it is a little bit wider toe box than most of the yeah. workout shoes that I've previously worn. So it just feels more natural and comfortable for my foot. Yeah. So how did Vans break through into the scene? Cause like they it's, were nowhere it's crazy. here like and now, two years. I mean, in our gym, it seems like 50% of the people I don't have, know. I mean, I do think a lot of people wear Vans outside of the gym and then it's kind of that trickle effect of like one person likes it and then the next person gets them and yeah. I, I just think it's What's the it's What's fun. the version that you have? Uh, it's called the Ultra Range. Um, okay. I think they have a couple different styles of them now and then like any color variation you could want at this point, but um, they're, uh, I think they range like price-wise like 80 to 100. So the, yeah. I wouldn't say Which they're like, nice. yeah, it's pretty nice range for shoes nowadays. I'd say average shoes are like 120 now. Um, so they are definitely on the cheaper side, I would say, compared to most sneakers, at least in our space. Um, I think the Metcons and those things can get up yeah. there to like 120, 150. So. so if we narrowed it to a top four general purpose, I would go Reebok Nano, Nike Metcon, the Van, what'd you say it was called? Ultra Range. Ultra Range, and then a, a Noble, and like the Noble basic trainer, not the runner, not the specialty one. Would yeah. you guys agree with that as kind of a go-to top four for just the general purpose? I think that's a pretty safe, uh, those are not my favorite top four, but I think that's a probably a good general. Uh, yeah. We're, like, we're hitting a lot of looks, aesthetics, um, with a similar training like ability. Yeah, yeah I, 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 I mean, I'm a Vans guy, but I would still say Noble would probably bump it ahead if you're doing um, FTX. So where I think we see the biggest improvement when someone switches to a shoe like that, to me it's the squat. Yeah. They feel much more stable in their squats and then deadlifts as well. Deadlifts. And you'll notice that knee position and, and foot position changes a lot when they have that stable base. Where I see the, the biggest pushback on those shoes is with running. Right. And this could be people that just don't have a lot of experience running or they have previous injuries running, um, or maybe the running technique could use some improvement and they're, they're basically just landing hard and they need a specialty shoe to run. Yeah. So you'll hear people that, oh, I love the Noble, I love the, the Nano, but I don't wear them on running days. And I think you really are like, exposing the truth there with like when people are complaining that oh i can't even run a 200 in the mat cons because uh, <laughs> they hurt that tells me that you have poor running technique yeah you know like they're not a running shoe and i get that but as someone i've logged a lot of miles it doesn't bother me to run in nanos and like i don't want to go run a 10k in them but it, it does not affect my 200 400 repeats like at all yeah so that's what i want to dive into because the top four I mentioned are not my top four either. Yeah. I'm currently wearing Zeros, which is X-E-R-O, Zero, not Z-E-R-O. And it's a minimalist shoe. And I prefer that 
because I don't have issues running and I try, I, I prefer to kind of be as close to the ground as possible and feel the ground. And, but I don't recommend that for many people. Or if I do recommend it for someone, I tell them to be careful in terms of ramping up running volume. Yeah. Like if you're going to use it to run, start with less than a mile Yes. and then gradually go up, you know, adding maybe 200 to 400 per day per workout that you use them until you get up to a couple miles and maybe never use them more than a few miles unless you're really adept at using them. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. My top four is definitely including a zero competitor Vivo barefoot, but a minimalist shoe. And I've done, you know, a back squatted in them. I love deadlifting in them. And I did both of my ultra marathons in Vivo barefoots. So I, I really like running in them. And I think what I've learned is like, if you strip down and learn to run in those, running in any other shoe is pretty easy. Yeah. Whereas if you learn to run in like a Hoka, <laughs> you can't run in anything but a Hoka. Like that, yeah. it, you're basically like, to me, it's like learning to walk with crutches. It's really like limiting your ability to develop. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will also say with that, the surface you run on is important. If you run yeah. on sidewalk or concrete versus learning to run, I mean, I love running at Tequesta Park, Lighthouse yeah. Park, and just going out there either in no shoes or in the barefoot shoes. And it's night, it's night and day difference than yeah. running I'm on concrete. I'm trying to be off the concrete, yeah, yeah. for sure. Let's talk lifting shoes, all right? We talked general purpose, we talked minimalist. Let's talk lifting shoes. Um, this, so what is a lifting shoe? It's something with a harder sole, it has a raised heel, and it allows for a little bit better ankle dorsiflexion, which is gonna make your squat feel much more comfortable. Um, it's gonna give you a harder surface to create power for like an explosive lift, like a clean or a snatch. So that's the purpose of it. If you are competing at the highest levels, if, if Josh is at the games and they don't have conditioning as part of the event, it's just a lifting event, he's gonna throw on those lifters. If you're watching the Olympics and they're doing the snatch cleaning jerk, those guys are gonna have it at the highest levels. But why, why or why not would an everyday athlete consider that? I mean, I think you hit it with the ankles. I think that's a big thing. Um, what the lifter is gonna do that's really good is allow you to be more upright in the bottom position mm. so if you're doing something like catching a clean catching a snatch overhead which it's really important to stay more upright in that bottom position it's going to assist you in doing that um, and then with that just be aware that heel heights do change from lifter to lifter which can definitely throw you off um, i won a pair of lifters a long time ago with a one inch heel normal standard is 0.75 it doesn't sound like much variance but it's huge yeah you're yeah you're, yeah yeah i was on my toes and everything so just be aware of that heights do change as well um so yeah i think what, what you're saying about the upright squat that could be a safety thing for someone if you're someone right. who is going to put the time into lifting someone who joins your class if they don't have great ankle mobility or hip mobility and and they're able to they're doing high volumes of stuff that's going to save potentially a back or a hip injury because of those high volumes because they're gonna be able to stay more upright every time they catch a heavy load. Yeah. And the stability of the sole and heel I think is really valuable. You know, generally if you're committed to something like weightlifting, uh, you know, you're, you're gonna commit to moving higher loads, right? Less reps, bigger volume, or less volume and, and bigger loads. So having a shoe that's never gonna roll underneath you or let yourself push out through the side, like we talked about the lateral stability, um, weightlifting shoes are great. And I do think it's worth noting, it's, it's nuanced, but like, Power, the difference in powerlifting and weightlifting. Powerlifting, you're generally seeing people in really like a minimalist shoe. Mm -hmm. Whether it's, I see a lot of dudes in like really wrestling slippers. shoes yeah. or sl weightlifting slippers are just coming a big thing. It's like socks with grips on the bottom. 
um, which goes back to like the deadlift and wanting to feel the ground underneath you. Yeah. But you're never putting the bar overhead in, in that power lifting position. So again, it's hard to find a shoe that can do everything well. Uh, but weightlifting shoes have been, yeah, huge for me. But, so, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say final verdict on the lifting shoe. To me, beach fitter doesn't have to even consider it. <laughs> FTXer, I lean towards no, you don't need one, except for someone who's going to be doing Austin's lifting class or is gonna be doing consistent lifting on their own one to two days a week. Outside of that, I think if you're just doing classes, I don't think it's necessary. I was, I was gonna say the exact same thing. And the reason is like, you know, I'm just gonna make a workout workout out in two seconds. If it's you know ten thrusters, two hundred meter run, five rope climbs, like what are you gonna do? Change your shoe for every single movement individually? Like, well, I, I thrusters in these, I run in these, and I do rope climbs in these. Like right. that's not gonna happen. So for most of our classes, I would say just stick with the normal shoe you would use for your, for everything else and yeah. stick with those. Um, lifters are definitely more specialized um, into something you're trying to work on. Yeah, I totally agree. The one the one thing about lifters is if you're on the fence though, uh, although it's probably twice as much as a general shoe, yeah. I'm in the same pair of lifters for my fifth year. Yeah. So like I go through CrossFit shoes every five months. You know, I change weightlifters never. Yeah, most people can buy one for their entire lives. Because you're not running, jumping. Yeah, right. They never go outside. They shouldn't ever go outside. Uh, that's the one. It's like your game day basketball shoe. You don't, you don't take them off the court. No. So we touched on running, but we didn't really dive specifically into it. Do you think most people need a running specific shoe that isn't, you know, the big four that we talked about, the minimalist shoe? These would be more of that heavy cushion shoe, um, a little bit more of that heel drop. Um, what do I you think? I don't think that that's necessary for any kind of group training, like class training, group training. The, the only time I would see that that's something that you're, again, kind of like a lifter, if you really want to get specialty, yeah. you're taking a lot of outside the class mileage. You know, if you're running, 20 plus miles a week, uh, then I would maybe consider looking at a running shoe. But even when I was doing that, I, I tried not to learn to rely on that high stack and like yeah. all that additional support. Yeah, just to um, think ahead about, I'm signed up for a marathon in February. I already said I like the minimalist style, but I'm considering getting a running shoe because I'm assuming I might have to log a lot of miles on concrete. So that's how I'm thinking about it. Even though I'm someone that prefers little to no shoe, I'm considering getting one because I'm going to be taking on more than what is normal. But if I'm not doing that, I think that we wanna look more at technique yep. and we wanna look more at adjustments we can make in the more uh, cross trainer type of shoe to allow you to do two to three miles in that versus needing a specialty right. shoe. And you're going to be over, you're going to be over 20 miles a week marathon training. Yeah. And you're I'm assuming this you're going to want to maintain <laughs> FTX training. Shit, I got to that much. <laughs> you know, I didn't how, think this through at all. But wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, I, I think also like what else are you doing? Like if you're going to be doing lifting while you're running, you do need to make sure we're saving our knees. Like, yeah. So that's where like minimalist running on the road for me that didn't last. Like I needed a road quote unquote road when you did your ultra where did what did you what surface did you mainly i tried on? to stay off the road for like 80 percent of my mileage gotcha. because my races were not on the road though so if you're running a road marathon you probably want to train on right. the road um and for that i guess if i mean i'm willing to share some of my favorites i'm a big fan of ultra uh, they make higher stack, they make more of a minimalist road shoe, and they still maintain that really wide toe box. So for me, Ultra and Topo were both 
really great brands of shoes that I've actually been taken into some of their trainers and tried out and, and I liked quite a bit. Cool. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about lifting belts. I think this is a big one. Um, we have people that throw it on a lot and then we have people that never use it. And I think there's a lot of people that put on all the time that could be using a lot less. And I think there's people that don't use it at all that should be considering using one from time to time. So how do you guys think about lifting belts in your training when working with clients and, and our group class clients? I, I would almost talk just like you did with the lifter, like in beach fit, I think no. We don't get high enough in loads or even volumes that, that would require it. Um, on the FTX side, I would almost say the same thing. The only, the only time I personally use it is if I am doing an absurd volume, which I don't really do anymore. Yeah. Or I'm going over like 85% of my one rep max. I think that's a great rule of thumb. Anything over 85%, especially if you have a previous back issue, you should be considering it. Um, and especially if you have a lot of experience and you actually truly know what your 100% is. Some right. people just don't push it to that level and that's fine. And you can just kind of, you can always have your 100% based on a beltless 100% because if you do add a belt, I think it's gonna add some to your lift to that 100% and make it actually higher. So if your percentages are based off a of belted 100%, then you might wanna consider belting above 85. Yeah, I like the 80. For me, it's maybe sometimes 80, 85. I mean, below 80, I'm probably never strapping up a belt, you know, mm -hmm. unless it's something crazy like find a 20 rep max, which <laughs> we're never doing in class. Uh, and I really think about it like Superman's cape, you know, like I don't want to put that on unless I want to fly and I need to, you know, save the world. Otherwise, leave the leave the belt off. Yeah. Um, I think that's a really good point. I think of it like that, too. It's like my my like my NOS, like in a car. It's yes. like, here's my little kick I can give at the very end, like throw a little belt on. Yeah. And I, and I use that. I game it with myself mentally. You know, like if I'm let's say I'm hitting an increasing EMOM for 10 minutes. I'll purposely like not even touch it until like minute seven or eight. Like I wanted, I want to let it start to get heavy and I want to feel heavy. So when I put the belt on, I'm like, I know I have an extra gear that I didn't have. Yeah. And maybe that's not even always the case, uh, but it, it, that just that placebo effect of the confidence that it gives me, it works. So I think definitely less is more in that case. But I love what you said about if your max is belted, then you're 80% belted is relative you know mm -hmm. like not your unbelted 80 percent. that's different yeah and i guess we didn't say why um yeah i think it's super important to develop the core strength needed to support yeah. those other loads without the belt without the belt right yeah and the flip side of that would be if you are really untrained and new i think the belt is a great teacher to brace against yes. something yeah it's like training wheels like let's get it on for you and let's let's fill i say fill the tank but learning to brace your entire core against that belt and then let's take the belt away, teach you to train and brace about it, and then just kind of save it. Yeah, so if you're an FTX person and you've never really put on a belt, let's let's try it. Try let's it put out. one on. You can borrow one from us, you can borrow one from someone else in the group, and let's try it so you guys can get used to bracing and feeling that, and then how can I translate that to my unbelted lifts? Yeah, creating tension, especially in the hinge position, is, is really valuable. Cool, so I think that same mindset applies to this next one, which is chalk, is how can we, <laughs> minimize chalk usage so that way when we use the chalk you feel you have that like superman's cape effect where you you get that little bonus as opposed to relying on it yeah. for everything that you do and i think the more you can kind of get away with 
not using it, the better you're going to feel when you do use it. I'm confused because I only use chalk to take rest in my workout. So. <laughs> I always thought minimize chalk meant like don't use it at home or to drive. <laughs> Otherwise, I'm always using it. Uh, I think one of the most educational things I've ever talked to members about is that chalk will cause you to rip. And yeah. people are like, what? And I'm like, the whole premise of putting chalk on your hand is that it dries your hand, mm -hmm. which when there's no moisture, your skin becomes tight, which is going to increase your risk of tearing. Yeah. And I think that was like the most eye-opening of people like, oh, well, then I don't want to wear chalk. <laughs> you know, I mean, like if it's the difference in you falling off the rig or not, we want you to chalk up. Yeah. But I think you will surprise yourself at how many lifts, how high of a lift you can hit without chalk. Um, you definitely like most people like Austin joke joke I think jokingly said like your grip is gonna fail before like your muscles will fail before mm -hmm. your sweaty hands cause you to drop off the bar if yeah. you're an elite athlete that might not be the case but like that's like we're talking about the one percent yeah most people your lungs are on fire your your arms are on fire like you have to come off the rig just towel off your hand you don't need to chalk up you, you need to rest is what you yeah. want yeah I don't have anything else to say on chalk, um, but let's talk about grips. So chalk's one thing, grips is another. Um, I use our grips that we have from time to time. I mainly use it for hand protection, so I yeah. don't rip. So I'll try to start without the grips. As I get later in the workout, especially as my hands get sweaty, I'll add the grips so it's a little bit drier feel and to make sure that I don't rip as we get to higher repetitions. But do you guys have a favorite grip that you like? And you know, should everyone have grips? So first question, I, I really like Bear Complex's carbon grips a okay. lot. Uh, and I do think it's worth noting the carbon. I've used the leather and I don't care for them. Uh, the carbon grips are sticky. I've also ripped through my grips. So like it, it definitely creates a buffer, but it is not, you know, a, a end all be all. Yeah. Right. And I also think Victory does a pretty nice job. I've, I've trained some of their grips um, and they do good work. And I'll let Austin kind of go. With yeah, that. I have Victory grips. Um, I don't know, for my first four to five years, I didn't wear anything. And the reason for that was I didn't like the feeling of something between me and the bar. Yeah. And still to this day, like, there's some movements I'm not a fan of having like something between me and holding on to what I'm trying to hold on to. And I don't really use it for every movement. Um, I'll use it for movements that really are moving my hand around the bar, like muscle ups, ups in particular. Yeah. Whereas like a pull up in a tota bar, my hand's not really moving that much from its set position, so I don't worry about it as much. But muscle ups, when you're literally moving around the bar, I, that's, I get right in the middle of my hand is where I start feeling it, so I'll wear it for that. Um, but yeah, if, if you've never tried them before, just be aware there it's gonna feel funky because there's a space between you and the object you're trying to hold on to. So I would probably shoot with something more like he's talking about with the carbon, because I think they are a little bit thinner than the, uh, the leather ones. There seems to be an on-ramp period where when people get grips, if they can make it through a few weeks of using them consistently, they tend to really love them. Yeah. But if they just try it once or twice, they don't really like them that much. I honestly have never made it through that period. Yeah. I mean, I only use them, as Austin said, when it's like a high repetition ring muscle. It's a lot of friction. I think a lot of it's like, what's your goal? Like, are you coming to class to just be fit and have a good time and improve your overall quality of life? You, I would put grips as like, middle of the road maybe yeah. buy you know they're not a hundred dollars so like it's not a high barrier to entry and just to have a pair in your bag isn't a bad idea if that one workout a year shows up even if that workout's murph yeah you know yeah, like true. that's not a bad idea to play with 
in terms of like, should you be using them on a weekly basis and learning to rely on them? If you're not like a real, if your goal is not competition, I, I don't know why you would be leaning into those heavily. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about jump ropes. When <laughs> should that. someone buy their own jump rope and do they need their own jump rope? I think everybody should own a jump rope personally. Like it's something that you can take with you on vacation. You can go home and work on, you can play with it. It travels, it goes like, if you're an exerciser, it's such an easy, basic mm -hmm. piece of equipment. Yeah. That, that's for me. I agree with it from that standpoint. I was originally thinking like, would you need it versus what we have in class? And I think not right away necessarily, but I like what you're saying. And from yeah. that standpoint, yes, everyone should have it. Yeah, I just think owning one, you just, you solve so many problems right out of the gate. Um, we, we have a lot of jump ropes here and they're pretty good. I mean, I've done the class and done double unders with them. And, uh, like if you buy your own, could it be better? <laughs> it could be faster, but faster is not always better for people yes. either. Sometimes that gets people in trouble. So yeah. I do think though, when you buy a rope, one, you always have it. It can go with you. You have less of an excuse to miss workouts and you can familiarize yourself with that rope, that pace, that speed. So as long as you stick with that, you you know, you're probably gonna enjoy working out. More. And where, where I'll add on to that is you also get to pick your size and yes. it's very consistent. Like, whereas you might grab one of these and it might be slightly different than the other one, could we put them together? Um, but those you can cut and make it, yeah. you know, perfectly fit you. But I, I agree with, with what you were saying is like, probably not at first, but maybe if you're starting to venture into like double underland, um, you can get some benefits from a personal yeah. rope. Yeah, and general rule of thumb is when you're newer, you actually want a little bit of weight to it because you, you're learning how to feel the rope yep. and control it. And then as you get better, it tends to be the lighter the better because then it becomes all about just efficiency and using as little energy as possible to move that rope. So if you're not advanced, don't be thinking about getting the best rope yet. Think about getting something with a little bit of weight yeah. that you can move. I think, I think Rogue, um, just the Rogue normal ropes they have, they have a couple different models now, but they're like, they start at like 15 bucks and go up to 25. I still think those were like my favorite jump rope of all time and yeah. they're pretty cheap. Whereas the rope I have now is like, I paid like $70 for it and the it's RPMs. like the RPM. And I don't even know if I'm any better at jump rope than I was when I had yeah. a $15 rope. They are I know nice, I'm not. They, they are nice ropes. I mean, and then there's like, what's the one with the tennis racket handle? Uh, is that uh, our no, smart gears? RX, RX yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, I, I know a lot of people. Those are great for learning. A lot of people like the weight of that rope, and they like the handle size. It feels better for them. I, yeah. I have an upgraded Rogue rope, so I have a Rogue brand rope, but it's like, I don't know what the SR two or it's like a bearing rope. So it was. Yeah. I think mine was like fifty dollars. Yeah. But also like. If you're not doing jump ropes on the concrete, you know, those handles and bearings will last you a decade. You know, you might need to replace the rope at some point, but even mm -hmm. then, if, as long as you stay inside with it, it's gonna last you a really long time. It's, yeah. To me, that's worth, I've had the it's same worth rope. the $40. I think I've had yeah. the same rope for like six years now. Yeah. And I haven't had to change even the, the actual rope itself. I'm gonna lose it before I break it, 100%. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, wrist wraps and knee sleeves. So these would be two that I would put really under like an injury prevention type of category or really pain prevention. Like it's a lot of times it's a short term pain. Hey, my wrist bothers me in the front rack. I don't think it's going to cause an injury, but having this makes it feel better. Or when I put knee sleeves on, it doesn't hurt to squat. And it's kind of like a temporary bandaid for that day, not necessarily a long-term fix for that. What do you guys think about those? Knee sleeves. So <laughs> knee sleeves is my Superman cape. We talked about it with the belt. 
that is my that's my cape. If I'm going to go for a you know, whatever heavy, heavy squat, squat, clean heavy back squat, whatever it may be, one thirty-five. Yeah. If I'm going over the bar <laughs> <laughs> for the first time, f you, man. <laughs> um, I'll throw those on. I um, and I'm only doing that if I'm focused on Olympic weightlifting at the time, which I haven't really been for years now. But when I was, that was like. I actually treated it the same as my belt, like, all right, we're over 85, now I'm putting this on, so it starts feeling better, because they do give you some performance, you know, boost, they literally help you out of the bottom of the squat, so um, I, I treat it like that, because once I put, you know, all the gear on, like, I feel good, but I, I never have done it from a pain standpoint, and I've never had to, like, do it to, like, hold myself together, if that makes sense, like, yeah, I would yeah. be perfectly fine to not wear them. I think, uh, I like what Austin said. You, you know, it, it's a lot like the belt, right? Are we using it for pain? Are we using it for performance management? Mm-hmm. And if we are using it for pain, let's not make it a pacifier. Let's make sure that we address it short term, like you said, and then let's address why you're in pain and improve. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see you wearing knee sleeves every day. Like, yeah. what are we doing here with this? And wrist straps, I think, are the same. Um, the one thing I'll throw in is like, I had a uh, friend make me homemade wrist straps, like literally just cloth and they sew them together and you just tighten it onto your wrists. Like you can make wrist straps for like $4. So <laughs> if you want those, cause you're lifting heavy and your wrists bother you on heavy days, I get that. The uh, one potential issue with the wrist strap especially is like a front rack position, you need mobility and it could be restricting yes. mobility. It, and that's what it does is it does it restricts yeah. mobility and which is therefore limiting your opportunity for pain right so but also potentially limiting your opportunity for improvement of that position you're not going to move better if you keep wearing those so i I don't know if owning them is a bad idea i definitely think to be careful that you don't fall into a trap of like relying on them yeah i I don't wear either uh and i'm old cool (laughs) (laughs) master um a couple miscellaneous ones to finish up here lifting straps so Austin, explain what this is and and uh, where someone might use these. Yeah, there's different styles. Um, first off, there's like a loop, and then there's a um, I don't know what the other word would be called, but you, it's like a longer strap. I have that one. Yeah, that one. Yeah. I have like the normal loops, but um, yeah, basically it would just, in my opinion, where I, where I wear them, it's if I'm not really focused on getting my grip improved. I'm not trying to improve my grip. I'm just trying to focus on the body part that needs worked in a specific lift, like. We did snatch grip deadlifts the other day. I wore them then because I was just focused on my snatch position. Um, I was not focused on improving my grip for the snatch. I, I honestly, you can't even go that heavy on it. So I wasn't trying to burn out my grip to do that. The straps kind of assist you in holding on to stuff. Um, who needs them? Probably no one here. Um, I think that's a, if, if you can't hang on to the barbell that you're, let's say deadlifting, I don't think you should be deadlifting it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, elite, high, high competitive athletes because of training volume, sure. Probably unnecessary. I will say the one thing, though, uh, with the style that I have, with the long strap, Mm -hmm. uh, there is a trick that I cannot demonstrate for you guys Mm -hmm. in audio, but there is a pretty cool trick that I've had clients use my straps for where you can loop around oh, for the and drive your hands yeah. through and basically support mm, a great a front, front rack. rack. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that is a good reason to own them. Um, totally different reason than they were designed for, <laughs> but it is really great. It allows you to like get out of that zombie pose so you can bring your hands up next to your head. 
uh, and it doesn't stress the risks at all. And I, we have clients in FTX that I've done, I just give them mine to use. So that if you are someone who is maybe, you know, older, we're not going to see a huge return in mobility mm -hmm. in your lifespan. And like, you don't care to be an elite front rack person, but you do want to front squat and participate, then I might consider it for that. And, yeah. and just to clarify, when I use them, it's if I, let's just say I just did a snatch workout and then I have snatch deadlifts right after, and you've just been holding hook grip for however long mm, yeah. and your thumbs don't feel good, I, I use them because I don't, I don't want my hands to rip over doing some lighter snatch pulls. Yep. Yeah. I'm not strong enough to use them, so I'm not even gonna chime in. Let's go to rope climb protection, leg protection. Do you need it or do you like scars on your shins? Love scars. <laughs> Love I, I definitely think something is is intelligent. Now it could be just like doubling up a pair of tube socks. Yeah. You know, you don't need to buy something for this. So I literally saw this maybe two months ago for the first time in ten years. I don't know how I missed it, but Kyle Donham and five AM threw our pull up grips, those little black pads, and inside his sock. Yeah, because he had to hide socks, so he had double protection. I'm like, that's genius. Why yeah. did I not think of that? Um, but yeah, you definitely want to have protection for climbing a rope. I just, I just literally use my knee sleeve. So knee I just sleeve put is put my great, knee sleeve yeah, down lower. Use. So it's more like a calf sleeve, and yep. that's it. What's your, what's your favorite? Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just saying, what's your favorite rope climb shoe? Because I think we can revert back to the Oof. shoes. I noticed that Nobles, as much as they look like they should be good for rope climbs, so are terrible. And to me, Nano is hands down the best. Yeah. I mean, I yeah, I mean, I wear Nanos ninety percent of the time, so I don't know that I can compare them to a lot of other shoes. But I, I don't. I like rope climbs, and I wear Nanos, so I can piece that together <laughs> pretty quickly. I I keep a pair of Nanos in my locker because I don't like wearing them every day. But if it's rope climb day, I throw them on. Yeah. But the Nobles are so bad. I do have a pair of the new Metcon uh, Sevens. They're a little too narrow for my feet but I have done rope climb workouts in them and they worked well. Yeah. So I, I'm not gonna say that they're better than the Nanos though. Uh, I mean, I'm happy with. And any other shoe you're gonna wear that doesn't have the rope climb guard, they're gonna destroy, gonna destroy your shoe. So destroy. yeah, if you have if, those, any type of running shoe with like the softer soles, they're gonna <laughs> blow up. will get wrecked. Yeah. Yeah. All right, this last one, we're gonna defer to Josh. Me and Austin were curious about, which is a mouth guard or, uh, I don't even know what you talk, yeah. call the- um, Mine's an airwave. Airwave. I usually wear a mouth guard because Austin hits me in the back of the head to suck <laughs> me up. I like to get pumped up before I lift heavy. Yeah. No, I, uh, so just growing up playing football, obviously mouth guards were required. So I got pretty comfortable with it. And then we regularly would lift before practice. So I would just, I started wearing it to avoid grinding my teeth while I lifted. Uh, from that just kind of habit, there started to become more studies about like when you have a mouth guard, you have separation between your teeth and your jaw, uh, that there were like benefits to like cr increasing power output. This was probably like, about to date myself. I think this was probably 15 to 20 years ago that these studies like kind of started circulating. Fast forward to today, I wear an airwave, which is actually like a bottom jaw mouth guard. So I still have those benefits. Like I don't, it prevents me from grinding my teeth. Um, creates space. The airwave also forces your mandible, so it brings the bottom jaw forward a little bit, which improves your airflow, like oxygen when you breathe, um, which is also gonna lower your cortisol levels while you're exercising. It's supposed to increase recovery time in between efforts. Um, 
I, I honestly just feel really comfortable having it in. I, I kind of enjoy it. And it, it, honestly, like I see all the science behind it, but I also am one of those people that when I look at things, I'll just throw in a couple of other equipment pieces. Like if I look at mouth guards or K tape or mm, yeah. forgot about that one or things like compression that, gear, we could have had compression this is list. great. So what I think of when I think about these things, there is, the, there's three potential outcomes from all these. One is that, that actually scientifically works. Yeah. Two is that you think that it does, so there it creates a placebo effect. And if, yeah. if you, the placebo effect actually takes place, then it's working, you yeah. are improving. And op, uh, potential number three is nothing happens. So the only negative is the cost of the product. Yeah. The airwave's like $35, like I'll take the shot because placebo effect to me is like, <laughs> it feels good and I think it makes me better, so I'm using it. The other negative of uh, compression and uh, KT tape is just looking really stupid. <laughs> <laughs> you got to, you pretty much have to wear K tape if you're going to a comp. Though. You have to put it all over your back. Yeah, I've worn K tape. I can't say I never have. <laughs> Me I, too. And I don't know if it works or not. But do you think having the new the cut marks is that the new K tape? The cutting marks? Yeah. Oh, it might be. Michael Phelps really put that on the map for us. Yeah. <laughs> all right, we'll wrap it up there. Hopefully, you guys found this helpful. Um, if you guys have any questions, don't hesitate to reach out, and we'll see you in the next one.